Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. You can forget the Super Bowl because we've got some proper football for you. There'll be more people inside Old Trafford tonight to watch the Seagulls and the Devils than watch Snoop and Dre at halftime. There'll be sticks of rock instead of Dwayne the Rock, Marcus Rashford instead of Marshall Mathers. It's Manchester United against Brighton and Hove Albion in the Premier League. And if that wasn't enough for you, the blue half of Manchester are on their travels in Europe, where they've touched down in Lisbon to take on Sporting in the last 16 of the Champions League tonight. But they are missing their MVP, Jack Grealish. And he might only have been there a matter of weeks, but Kieran Trippier is already looking like Newcastle's precious place kicker. But he's on the injured roster at the moment, as a broken foot will keep him out as the Magpies battle to beat Demotion. All of that to come on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode on good old English top flight footy every single day of the season. My name's Niall and the field judges joining me today to cast their eyes over proceedings are Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, fellas. Morning, guys. You all right? Morning. I thought I tuned into an NFL podcast then. (laughs) No, you haven't. You've tuned into an EPL podcast. Um, did you watch the Super Bowl, Marley? Did you catch any of the uh, halftime entertainment or anything like that? Uh, I started. I did watch the first sort of quarter, um, and then I got to I got towards halftime, and it was like coming up to one in the morning. And I thought if I stay and watch halftime, it'll be like half one. And then we were in the office yesterday, weren't we? So I uh, I binned it off before I uh, had a little sleep hangover and uh, went to bed so just before Dr. Dre and all the all the old timers rolled out. Yeah, I enjoyed the halftime show, I must be honest. But I much prefer seeing two mascots have a 100-metre sprint (laughs) from one goal to the other. (laughs) That's how we do it. I mean, all of these people saying, Joel, halftime entertainment in the Premier League, it won't work, will it? I mean, let them in the NFL have their thing and we can have ours of drinking pints and eating pies. (laughs) Can you imagine that at a Premier League ground? The guys in the crowd end up chanting <laughs> some horrible chants at the people in the middle. Uh, so yeah, I don't see that working. I can just imagine it now, to be honest. I must be honest, I absolutely loved 
Doctor Dre and Snoop um, doing their thing. Uh, Dre coming out of the of the of the bottom of the stadium with, on his sort of white uh, mixing desk. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. But um, as I said in the intro, there will be more people inside Old Trafford tonight to watch Manchester United against Brighton in the Premier League than there were in Los Angeles to watch the Super Bowl inside the stadium on Sunday. It is the only Premier League game on tonight. Manchester United, of course, off the back of two 1-1 draws with Burnley and Southampton, both in the Premier League. And there's been a lot said about Manchester United's form, but they're still well within a shout of finishing in the top four, Marley, because with the results we've seen recently, nobody seems to want to grab that fourth place for themselves. Yeah, it's like... um. It's like a hot potato, isn't it? Everyone just passing it around to each other. Nobody wants to to hold on to it and uh, embrace the burn of, of staying in fourth. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a really weird race because, um, you know, nobody's putting their stamp on it. West Ham look to be faltering a little bit. Jim will tell you that they look they have looked a bit tired for weeks now. Um, still haven't got a striker that's scoring. He's sort of relying on, on Jared Bowen uh, quite a lot. You know, Leicester are nowhere near... Um, even though they've been the one who've put this, their sort of uh, grip on fourth in the last couple of seasons before falling away towards the end. They're not even in the race this year. Spurs are just typical Spurs of having the having a clear run at fourth and not winning any of their three games in hand. So they've actually gone down a place from where they were. I think they were seventh with three games in hand. And now they're, they've played the three games in hand and they're eighth, um, which is just typical, typical Spurs. Um, and then you've got Man United who are just, uh, you know, dealing with all kinds of things which aren't really related to football. You know, this whole leak thing, this um, the, the the Ronaldo debate, which just simply won't go away. This is he is he good for the team or does the the bad outweigh the good of of carrying his ego and getting him into the team and stuff? And whether that's just or unjust, I'm not sure. But there's there's plenty going on at Man United right now, and I think. You know they've got a, a clear chance to sort of set it right tonight because beating Brighton would be a good result. But you know Brighton are a tidy team; they're 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 much better than Southampton and Burnley who've just took points off Man United. So if you uh, if you take that into consideration, you're probably saying this is this is a really tough game for Man United, having just played at the weekend and sort of a, a few more eyes being on them on a Tuesday night as well with with the rivals and other top four play um, competitors not playing. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a big game for Man U tonight. Yeah, it definitely is. And if we look at the table, Manchester United are currently fifth in the standings on 40 points. West Ham are fourth on 41. And they've played a game more than Manchester United. So this is United's game in hand on West Ham. Arsenal are two points back. They're in sixth, but they've played 22 games. So that's three in hand on West Ham and two in hand on Manchester United. But United can put the pressure back on Arsenal with victory tonight over Brighton. That will put them on 43 points and two points clear of West Ham United. And that will move them up into the top four, into fourth position. So that's what's at stake for Manchester United tonight. And Marley touched upon it there. First of all about Ronaldo and secondly about uh, Brighton's propensity to possibly come to Old Trafford and get a result tonight. We'll talk about the Seagulls shortly, but first, let's get this elephant in the room out of the way, Joel. Cristiano Ronaldo, everyone's talking about him, as is often the case when Ronaldo is at any club. He's going to be the centre of attention. Uh, reports claiming that he was in training yesterday on his own for five hours, practising, honing his skills at 37 years old, having achieved pretty much everything in the game. He was still willing to put the work in on the training ground. 
I guess the question is, will he start tonight against Brighton? There are lots of suggestions that he could be a problem. For me, he's just out of form. What's your take? Do you think he'll get a nod from Rangnick to start the game? Well, I'm surprised we've not had the team sheet yet because there's more <laughs> leaks in that United side than there are in flipping the Old Trafford roof. So um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a circus at the moment, honestly. I just can't get to grips with how much nonsense is getting spoken about in every area. But as you just said, Niall, with Ronaldo, in my opinion, it's just the case of him being scapegoated. I feel like when a team's playing badly, fans in the media are desperate to try and find that one cause of all the downfall and I think it's unfair but it's just the fact that Ronaldo is who he is he's like one of the best players to ever play the game so of course if he's not producing the spotlight is always going to be on him regardless it was at Juventus and it was at Real Madrid and um, this is this is what comes with having such a stature in football and when you have a reputation like he does of course if he's not scored in um, six seven games of course you're going to have questions asked. But I mean, there's very there's way more deeper problems than that because regardless of if he did score or he doesn't, the defence has so many weak spots at the moment that I wouldn't even be confident that we could hold the lead should he score. Because when you look back at our last five, six games, every single game, we've blown the lead. When you look at Southampton last game, Burnley, the game before, the, the FA Cup tie against Middlesbrough, we went 1-0 up. Um, and yeah. then you had the Villa game. But you've not been playing badly, though, have you, Manchester United? You've been creating plenty of chances. I mean, if you go back to the Middlesbrough game, Bruno Fernandes missed effectively an open goal and hit the post. You hit the crossbar. There are a number of opportunities to put the game away. Similar with Burnley in the first half. You had two or three goals ruled out by VAR. One header from Varane, which um, was ruled out. And then there was another goal, which was an own goal that didn't stand. So you've been creating the chances. Sancho's been looking good. So it's not like it's all doom and gloom for Manchester United. It's not like they've been devoid of any quality at the top end of the pitch. They just struggled to finish their chances. Yeah, but the main issue is that they've been playing for one half. Yeah. It seems as though after they come out for half time, I don't know what happens in that changing room, but suddenly the whole motivation to kind of go on and, you know, get two or three or four, it's like they go into defensive mode a little bit and they feel like they're going to get an onslaught of attack. And it, as we've seen in the last three games, as soon as they went 1 0 up at half time, the opposition came out and equalised instantaneously. Um, and at Old Trafford as well, it's, it's really unheard of, especially in the last few years, because usually when they go 1-0 up at half-time, I think there's a, a really good stat. Obviously, I don't think United have lost the game after leading at half-time for something like 100-odd games, which is impressive. But you can't keep winning at half-time. There's suddenly the whole mentality and the desire switches off. There's something fundamentally wrong there. Uh, but like you say, it's not as if they're playing awful, but they're not playing great either. They're still not clinical enough um, even though they are creating the odd few chances and a luck hasn't gone our way in quite a few of the games um, it should it, the team that we have on paper should be enough to override any of those kind of factors they've got so much firepower in that front line but um, it's just the club at the moment is just in a bit of a, a strange situation where everything feels very temporary where you've got a manager who the players know is going to be going in four months. You've got probably around eight players in that squad who know they're going to be leaving in the summer. You've got leak after leak after leak. You can't hold the lead. 
to me, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of togetherness because, like I say, it feels very temporary. And when that happens, I feel as though there isn't that, you know, that close connection called bond because they know that the player on the right to the left of them, they probably won't even be the teammate in the next four months. And they know that they're going. So it's, it's a tricky situation for me. And I just don't see us getting top four purely on the fact that I don't see how the players at United have the motivation in contrast to the teams around us. But... um I think a lot of clubs don't want to overcommit so they don't end up in the uh, conference league because that would be devastating. Um, <laughs> and I don't see I don't see Ronaldo wanting to play in flipping Bulgaria on a Thursday night. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit of a tricky one as well now because you don't just avoid the Europa League, you have to avoid that competition and it's a bit of a strange one. I think when it's a situation in which the team isn't winning, Manchester United have drawn two games, 1-1 with teams they should have beaten. They should have beaten Burnley at Turf Moor. They should have beaten Man- uh, Southampton at Old Trafford. They should have beaten Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. So that's three one ones in a row. They should have beaten all three of those teams, really, with the team that they do have and the quality that they possess, but they didn't. I think if they had won those games, maybe the narrative and the noise wouldn't be as loud around the club. But that's the situation they find themselves in. So how much will a win ease those fears and dampen some of that noise around the club, do you think? Uh, it will do for a little bit, um, but then the incredibly reactionary fan base that is Man United will will lurch to, you know, yeah, we can do fourth, yeah, we'll get that, we're good enough, we're better than everyone else, and then next time they drop points, it'll all be doom and gloom again, and everyone has to be sold, and they need to spend three hundred million in the summer and get rid of Maguire and get rid of Fred and McTominay and stuff like that. So you're probably just going to see it over, over and over again. I don't think Man United will properly move forward until they get a permanent manager. In the summer, because, like Joel said, like how can you, how can you have confidence? How can you sort of build something when it's so temporary? Like one of the, the hardest things to do is to predict what Man United are going to be like next season because you don't know who the manager is going to be, um, you don't know what players they're going to fancy or not fancy. You don't know whether they want to work with Rangnick this this new, um, model they've got. You know that it, it's very possible that somebody can come in as as a as a chosen manager. And say no, I don't want to work with Ralph Rangnick actually, um, and that might that might bump them down to second or third choice manager, um, and things like that. So, yes, like the, you know, in the short term, it will give them a lot more confidence um, and improve the mood around the club a little bit. But it doesn't get rid of the problems. It it almost papers over the cracks a little bit because there are still bigger problems at Man United, no matter what the result tonight. But in the short term, they need it because fourth is still there. Fourth isn't going away for them because, as we said before, everybody else doesn't seem to want it. So as long as that is happening, Man United do still have a chance. And if they can sort it out and, and patch it up in the short term, they could still qualify for the Champions League next season, which would be a ridiculous uh, uh, achievement as when you look at where they are now. They take on Brighton tonight, and you've already suggested, Marley, they've kind of gone about their business pretty quietly this season. They're ninth at the moment, arguably having their best season in a number of years, particularly in the top flights. There's no doubt their best season as a Premier League team since they returned to top flight football a few years ago. Arguably also, they're a better team than Burnley and Southampton, who United just drew with in back-to-back Premier League games. They've also given Manchester United some issues in the past. I remember the opening game of two seasons ago where it took a Bruno Fernandes uh, penalty after the final whistle had gone. And uh, I think that Brighton broke the record for the most times that the woodwork had been hit in a game since they had started taking statistics. So that was a, a good game. So there's been some good matches between these two 
in the past. So I don't think Brighton should be looked at in this game as, as sort of cannon fodder for Manchester United. If anything, far from it. Yeah, no, um, Brighton, uh, you know, Brighton, you, you've got to be good to beat Brighton, I think. Um, you, they won't let you play. They won't, like, they don't seem to show much intimidation This um, under this sort of model they've got under, under Graham Potter. He's done a really good job in, in making them, uh, you know, a very solid team. You know, we've talked loads about their, um, their lack of cutting edge and, you know, if they were slightly better in both boxes, they could be, you know, a, a comfortable top half team, but you know the the fact remains that even without those things, they're still still a really good side. They will they won't let you just sit and have possession against them. They'll press you. They'll make you play, and they'll make you beat them. And if you're good enough, you'll beat them. Like the likes of like Liverpool and Manchester City you have to work hard to beat Brighton, um, and that's because they're comfortable playing against like a pressing system. They're passing, you know, they're comfortable in possession and. They, they, you know, they can see the press coming and, and not panic and get through it and, you know, create chances. Like, can Man United do that with the confidence around the, the club at the minute, having drawn the last three games to um, what would probably have to be classed as inferior opposition all three times? Um, I'm not so sure. So it'd be a really interesting game. Um, if Brighton can not hit the bar so many times in the post, <laughs> it, could be, it could be a really tough one for Man United tonight. But... Um, obviously the the proof will be in the pudding. I think Rangnick should know what a decent team is is about to play, and hope his uh, his you know billion pound squad or whatever it is can uh, can get the chances that they've they've thrown away in the last three games. Fancy a win tonight, Joel? Do you think Manchester United will pick up the win? Uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you that it probably will be around the one one mark, um, and then. <laughs> We'll go from there and try and go again, as all the players say. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I, honestly, I, I just don't know what to expect. All I know is that we're going to probably take the lead at half-time. And then from then on, let your imagination <laughs> run wild, honestly. It might be 1-0 at half-time. I was hoping for a full-time score rather than a half-time score, but I can see why you've done that. Um, we're going to talk from one United to another after the break. Newcastle United, they have been the team of the moment at the bottom half of the Premier League table. Kieran Trippier, since he's come into St. James's Park, has been a revelation, but he's injured and he'll be missing for a few weeks at the very least. We'll get Marley's take on that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sport Social. And Newcastle United's Kieran Trippier is out. He's got a fractured foot. He's injured his fifth metatarsal. May well need surgery to enable that to heal slightly quicker. 80 days is the expected return to playtime, according to the data from the last 10 years. Uh, injury expert Ben Dinnery has predicted it takes roughly around that long for a player to be back. So he'll miss definitely the next Newcastle game, but he could be out for up to around two or more months. First reactions, Marley, as a Newcastle fan, from a neutral perspective, it looks like a blow. What's your thoughts as a fan? Yeah, it's a, it's a big blow, to be honest. Um, he's, I think he's pretty much typified what is uh what has improved around Newcastle in the in the last you know month that he's that he's played um his sort of commitment and fight is is exemplary to to everything um he's he's give us more quality he's give us 
a, quite a bit of leadership. He was captain in the last game uh, when Lascelles was was out with uh, illness. He captained the, the team against Aston Villa before he went off. Um, so that just sort of proves what his, uh, what his impact has, has been off the field. Um, and on it, he's been superb. Obviously, the two free kicks uh, uh, speak for themselves. Um, and the just the level of performance against Everton, he was outstanding. Um, never put a foot wrong, just intercepting everything, tracking back, organising the, the defence, putting decent crosses in, getting forward, uh, proper all-action display. So um, it's disappointing to lose him because, you know, a, a broken foot isn't an easy one. I was worried going in, into the Villa game that, uh, he he wasn't going to play because he had a calf injury that he picked up against Everton, um, and that took him off in injury time. Um, but he, he he battled through that, he, he overcome that, and uh, he's gone and broke his foot against Villa. Somebody stepped on him at a corner or something random. Uh, didn't see the incident myself, but uh, some people saying it was Coutinho stood on him by like accidentally or something, and it's ended up breaking his foot. So it's. Um, that's something to do as well, because Coutinho weighs about nine stones, so it must have been quite a stamp. Um, so yeah, but it's, it'll be a big blow. Um, it's made slightly worse by the fact that the other right back, um, who's also been quite, playing quite well, is Javier Manquillo, and he's been injured as well um, in the Villa game. He picked up a little knock, so we might be uh, down to the, not the bare bones, because we've still got Emil Kraft, who can play right back, and he'll probably be in the team for a couple of, a couple of well at least a few weeks and uh we'll we'll have to keep that thing keep that confidence high because around the club it's it's much much better now um i think to be fair the way we're playing isn't just down to 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 Kieran Trippier it's uh, he's been a big part of it but the the sort of philosophy of the team now and the the approach to games is much more positive and and uh front foot sort of based um, and we're we're playing well, so hopefully that can continue this weekend because we've got West Ham, and then we've got Brentford after them um, before we play Brighton. So with West Ham faltering a little bit, they're not they don't look unbeatable at the minute. Brentford have lost six or seven in a row now, um, and then Brighton uh, on the fifth of March is uh, got to be backed rode on by me who I got tickets yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in the queue for what? An hour yesterday trying to get tickets for that game. You got a seat up in the gods, but you managed to get one. <laughs> yeah, I realized yesterday that um I'm uh, I think I think there's 14 flights of stairs um to go up, so I'll probably have probably start the uh the match a few pints uh, a few pounds down from what I uh, arrived at the ground in so I'll have a couple of pints before before kick off and then walk them off going up and down them <laughs> stairs up to the gods at uh, up above the leaders end you'll be sober by the time you get to the top that's for sure <laughs> it's a long I way out run, but I'll I'll have had too many and fall back down again. <laughs> Kieran Trippier has been massive for Newcastle in the last couple of games, obviously scoring a couple of direct free kicks, having a direct impact in the three points that they've picked up in the last couple of games. Um, I guess he's already had an impact, Joel, which could be huge on Newcastle's season, even if he doesn't play a- another game for the next two months. We were discussing this in the Sports Social Office yesterday about how you know, the, the six points that he's played a part in in the last two games in particular for Newcastle United, that might even be the difference between them staying up and getting relegated. So even if he doesn't play for a while, he still had a pretty big impact. Yeah, I mean, when I watched that free kick he scored, it just took me back to that beautiful day in 2018 where it gave us all <laughs> such a beautiful day. Yeah, well, beautiful few minutes, shall we say. Um, 
And yeah, I know exactly where I was when that goal went in, and I think everyone who's an England fan probably. I think does. everyone knows yeah. that. Yeah, it was it was it was a beautiful first forty five minutes, put it that way. Um, but yeah, just watching Trippier play, I forgot just how good he is. It is set pieces, which, like we've mentioned with James Ward Prowse, that's worth a good ten points this season every single season when you have someone who's a great crosser, but every time you have a dead ball set piece you know that he's going to at least test the goalkeeper rather than, you know, hit it into where Marley's going to be sitting. So um, it's, 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 I'm just surprised that United and Spurs didn't actually go in for him because when you look at both of their right back options, when you got, you know, Emerson Royal and um, at United, you've got like Wan-Bissaka and Dallow. I mean, I think Trippier is an upgrade on both of those sets of players. So I think Newcastle have done really well to get him. I think he could be one of the most important signings this season if he eventually ends up being able to play the last remaining games because I don't know how long he will be out for. But um, like you just say, even though he will be out, not being defeated in the last five Premier League games and winning three on the bounce. I mean, I don't think any of the three sides below them will be able to match that. And that's something where, you know, when they've got how many games now left? Uh, 15 games to go. When you've got that many games, I just don't see how Watford, Burnley and Norwich are able to pluck up that kind of form. Um, so I think for Newcastle, if they can continue this consistency and potentially you know, replicate that form again in the next five games, then they're pretty much in the clear then. Uh, but I don't think it's all completely said and done because like we say, when some teams need that fight to fight relegation or, you you know, Newcastle play a team who's looking for top four, those are the games that are the ones that they're going to have to really battle for. But I think with Newcastle and just watching kind of the atmosphere at the ground and like the feel-good factor again, which was the total opposite under Steve Bruce, and it has been for probably like 15 years now, apart from maybe the Pardew era that season. Um, it just seems like there's just something different there now where when you look again at the last, the three clubs below them, you don't see that. You don't see really the fans really getting up for it because it's it's a load of crap what they're watching and they're not getting the results. Whereas in Newcastle, you know, they've got new ownership, which is one thing to shout about alone. Then you've had like the big 90 million injection in the club where they're all excited to see the new players play. Um, and then you've got a new manager who's like a young manager. He's a pretty talented manager. I mean, there's a lot to shout about at the club and I think that's kind of testament to the first sorry, the last five games. I know he had a rocky start when he first joined, but I mean, that club was still disjointed from having Steve Bruce there. And I'm sure it's taken a while for them to kind of get out of the ways and the, the negative mentality that was around them during that period of time because they were bottom of the league for a good, what, 15, 16 games. So yeah, he's changed it around really well. Of course, the cash injection always helps. But um, yeah, I think it's a good platform to go off. And I think Trippy is probably the most important signing they've made. That's a really good point, isn't it, Marley? Um, are Newcastle in a place currently out of the relegation zone with a points cushion now to Norwich, which looked unlikely only a month or two ago? Are they in a position now where their confidence is up, even though they'll be missing Trippier in the next game, two games, however many games? He has been important, but not talismanic. And the feeling around the club is now one of confidence that you can go into your next couple of games off the back of a string of wins and get a result there as well. It's not like, oh no, Trippier's out, what are we going to do? Yeah, it's. Um, I think the biggest thing around us is is 100% the, the feeling around the club because everybody's been playing you know, close to the best in that in that 11, uh, that starting 11. So I think even with with Trippier going, um, you know, going to be on the sidelines for, for a little bit, then... That is, it is a blow, but 
with I think the crowd now will, will just get behind Emil Kraft or or um, Mankio if he comes in, and they'll be they'll be as inspired as the rest of the team has been. You know, um, everybody's playing way way above the standard that they were under Steve Bruce. Joe Linton's I've I I don't know a player who's had such a transformation under under Joe Linton. If you watch him play. It, it, what he does doesn't really make the highlights because he's a box-to-box powerhouse. It's unbelievable watching him play now. And then you think back and Steve Bruce just lumped him up front for two seasons and thought, well, he's six foot three, he must be able to play a striker. Um, and it's just, you see the, the level of coaching in the team now. It's just, it's chalk and cheese from where we were. So I think anybody that comes into that atmosphere and into that sort of mood around the, the first team is is going to be massively sort of buzzed by it and um we should we should keep picking up a few points because you know as we say now we've won three games in a row now um Norwich and Watford have only won four all season so that sort of you know sums up the task like if you was to say now how many games is it going to take Watford to get three wins you'd probably say about 30 and under the form they're in right now because they don't look anywhere near good enough to stay up and they're not you know they're not in that sort of they're not really pushing and, and picking up points every week. So you're looking at that and thinking it's it's Newcastle's uh, sort of uh, tap, like race to lose now sort of thing because the mood is so good. We're, we're out of the relegation zone. I think a win, um, you know, another win could take us above Leeds and Everton. So, you know, to put that into context, we were we were way behind them three or four games ago. So that's mm. huge for huge for everyone. Yeah, I agree. The last two weeks has completely reshaped the landscape at the bottom of the Premier League table. And I think of that cluster of five teams at the bottom, four teams, I suppose, Newcastle are now the favourites to stay up. And that is how quickly things can change in the Premier League. That is why we love it. We're going to move on from Premier League next, though. And we're going to talk about the Champions League as the Premier League leaders are in action in the last 16 of the competition. They've travelled to Portugal to take on Sporting. We'll talk about City's game in Europe next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. We are part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, which you can check out at our website, sport-social.co.uk. And when you get to the page, just click Podcasts. It's the tab at the top of your screen, and you'll be able to check out all of the great shows we've got on offer there. Time to talk about the Champions League now on Football Social Daily as the knockout stages kick off in earnest tonight. It's PSG against Real Madrid in one of the last 16 legs, but our our focus, of course, is on the Premier League sides and Manchester City have travelled to Portugal and the capital to take on Sporting Club de Portugal, the Lisbon-based side, and they should win this tie overall. I know it's not ever easy, Joel, in the last 16 of the Champions League. That's why the teams are in the knockout stages. They've earned the right to be there through merit of qualifying through their respective groups. And although this looks like a favourable tie for Manchester City, they should come out on top over the two legs, but it probably won't be as easy as some are suggesting. Yeah, I mean, Sporting are no, no uh, easy tie at all. I mean, they've only conceded 15 all season in the Portuguese league. And if anyone's seen their last game, where there was five red cards after full time, and of course, Pepe was in the heart of it all. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I mean, it, like like we've seen with City, City's got a very strange relationship with the Champions League. I remember speaking to my friend who's a City fan a while ago. I can't remember what it stemmed from now, uh, where I think, I don't know if they were playing Moscow and they banned them from the, the fans from the stadium. And that's the reason why they ended up booing the, the Champions League anthem before every game. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. It was something along those lines. And that's the reason why there's quite a cold relationship with the with the Champions League tournament as a whole. And it's a strange one because, you know, they have the team to do it clearly. I mean, they could easily wipe, go through to the semifinals by a breeze considering the form they're in at the moment. But with Sporting Lisbon, like we've said, I think in previous seasons, they would have been a team that you could easily wipe over, but they are a pretty young, talented squad. But like we've said, as we've seen with City in this in the Premier League this season, and I've said before, they're just the Ivan Drago of the Prem. They just can't be beaten. Any kind of hit that they take where you think, oh, they might start slipping up a little bit here. They just end up going on like a 10-game winning streak and that gets put to bed very, very quickly. The only issue with Pep, it's not these last 16 rounds. It's when you get to the semi-finals and you play against the likes of Real Madrid, Liverpool, um, yeah, they're pretty much the main two, three, aren't they? Really? Then I don't know. Sometimes it feels to me like the other team just wants it more than them, and I just don't know if it's it's strange because Guardiola's had a pretty decent uh, Champions League record, but obviously, obviously that was only with Barcelona. With Bayern, I'm I can't believe he never won one with that side. It's pretty. I'd say it's, it's a massive failure on his part that he never won a, a Champions League with that side. And then with City, obviously they got so close last season, uh, but were pipped at the post by a Chelsea side who were better than them on the night as well. So it's it's a strange one. I just don't see them winning it this year either. I just feel as though there's just so many more sides who are a little bit more equipped for the for the for the challenge and just want it more. It's a strange feeling around it for me with City, but it'll be a tough ask. Uh, but I think you know it'll be a straightforward win. I think for City in this kind of in this kind of matchup. I think it's a really interesting conversation, and it's one we've had a couple of times over the years on Football Social Daily and in the office when we've been chatting generally about the Champions League. Why is it, Marley, when we do talk about the Champions League, we very rarely say Manchester City are favourites, yet they're comfortably top of the best league in Europe, the Premier League. They're hunting for their third Premier League title in a row. They've got to the semi-finals of this competition before. They've won a domestic treble in recent seasons. Pep Guardiola is one of the best managers to, to grace the game in the last you know, at least in this century. So why is it when it comes to Europe, we don't really ever consider them as favourites? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'd say it's maybe just the the history of, of the club. You know, when you think of the Champions League, people tend to think of uh, Real Madrid, Bayern, Inter, you know, um, the, the sort of historical massive teams, you know, Man United, Liverpool, for example. But I think until... Um, Man City win one, then they're always in that competition, always in that sort of conversation. But having said that, for the, in my head, for the last three years, I've I've thought Man City are the best team in Europe, uh, and would be surprised if anyone beat them on the way to the Champions League. Um, and that's no different this year. I I I still see them as the best team in Europe, regardless of whether they win it or not. If I'm honest, because um, I think you know winning the competition is is uh, marginally easier than winning a league because you've got to be you know fewer games isn't there yeah yeah, you can you know you can be better than like Chelsea for example Chelsea weren't better than Man City last season but they were on the night the night that mattered so 
um it's it is one of those just one of those things isn't it you know it's um it that's how that's how cup competitions work that's why they're so enthralling and exciting to watch because if it was a super league style thing man you might be clear at the top of it you never know so um but yeah until maybe well so let's say city win the title the champions league this season next year the the um, when the competition starts again, it'll be right. Who's going to beat Man City? That'll be the conversation. It won't be, you know, who's going to win the Champions League. It'll be like right, it's City's to lose because they won it last year. They've got that that monkey off the back, so to speak. They won the Premier League, um, and here they go again, type of thing. So, I think that it'll just like kick them off. I mean, if they were Ivan Drago before Christ, they'd probably be Ivan Eva Drago on even more steroids this this time round if they if they go and uh, win this this year. Bane. I agree with pretty much everything you say, especially when it comes to Manchester City's heritage in the competition. And this is something that I spoke about about three or four years ago when City were just dominating the Premier League and they got a hundred points in one season. And it was you know Pep Guardiola. The only thing he hasn't done really is won the Champions League in in, in the years he's kind of been a top elite coach he won it with Barcelona but hasn't done so since and it's been a while but I think it's that I think it's the prestige I think that when you think of the Champions League you don't immediately think of Manchester City you do think of six-time winners like Liverpool and Real Madrid and AC Milan and Barcelona and teams like that you do think of these big sides in the Champions League and sadly you don't think of Manchester City and I don't think that's because they're not a good side they're undoubtedly one of the best sides in Europe if not the best as you say Marley but I think they just don't have the heritage in the competition yet let's not forget it's only been probably since 10 years ago when they won the Premier League 2012 it's really only since then that they've been a a Champions League uh, contender every season in terms of finishing in the top four in the Premier League so we're talking about a side that's only been in the Champions League give or take for around 10 years Whereas if you look at someone like Liverpool or someone like Barcelona or Real Madrid, they are always in the Champions League, pretty much. If you look over the course of history, it's hard to think of a season when Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or Barcelona weren't in the Champions League. So I guess that's kind of partly where it comes from. I think it's a really interesting debate and one that no doubt we'll have at some point further down the line if City don't win the Champions League this season. I do think they've got a great chance. But obviously they'll need to beat Sporting tonight in Lisbon to get through the first leg of their last 16 tie. I think they will get through this one on the whole, but they'll be missing Jack Grealish for this evening's game, Joel. He's out with a non-serious injury. Now, on a personal level, I think that Grealish... over. Yeah, well, let's not get into that. <laughs> but he'll be disappointed on a personal level as the whole reasoning he gave for leaving Aston Villa to join Manchester City was to compete in the Champions League, compete at this level, the knockout stages of the Champions League, something he only would have watched on TV as a supporter up until last season when he joined the club in the summer. So he'll be disappointed to miss out tonight, won't he? Yeah, the Grealish situations a little bit I, I I don't know the reason like the exact reasons for him missing out but he's got an injury but it's not like it's not one that's in, gonna keep not him like before. specified right yeah um it's a strange one for me with Grealish because even before he went to City I just didn't think it was the right club that's not to say that in the future he's not going to do really well there because he is super talented but I just think that when you look across their forward line there's about five other players who do the exact same thing as him if not better in a Guardiola system Whereas when he was at Aston Villa, you know, he was able to take a little bit more touches on the ball. He was the catalyst in the side. He was the guy you would pass to. Now he's just another player who adds to the system that Guardiola's got. 
And I don't know, I think he's trying to adjust to that big time because he, he was used to being, you know, the captain, the talisman, the guy who got Villa out of the crap in most games. And now he's just a player who has to play in a very uh, particular system, one which is very specific where all the players have specific tasks and you have an area of the pitch that you need to cover. And it's going to take a lot of adaptation to go from a Villa to a Pet Guardiola side, which is so like well regimented. But I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a whim here and just say that I think Grealish would have been better at United, to be honest. And I just <laughs> Of think course it... you'd say that. Of course you'd say that, because he's a top player. No, I know that. But, no, but I mean, they paid £100 million for him, so you would think that he would have done way better at City under a Guardiola team. I'm saying he's more... I think he would have been more suited to United, just in terms of the way we play. And I think he would have been more of a talisman in the United side. Like I say, with City, he's just another another very talented player there. And I don't know how he overcomes that because the way Guardiola wants to play is not all about one player. It's about how the whole team plays as a as a unit. And I just don't see how he's meant to make a massive impact in that side. Um, I, I Honestly, if I was United now, I would literally test a bid because I, I truly <laughs> believe that in the summer, they should have gone for Kane. I swear to God, they should have gone for Kane and it would cause earthquakes if we end up getting him. But that's just like a hypothetical, which will never happen. But I truly believe he would have done way better at a club which uses him more as a focal point than anything. Um, and it's just really difficult because, you know, you've got Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling. Um, I'm probably missing another one because there's just so many along that forward line and they just interchange constantly. So it's really hard to make your mark on it. And Guardiola likes to rotate a hell of a lot too. So that makes it difficult to develop a lot of consistency in the side. So it's, it, it has a tough ask. And with that prize tag, you know, it, it must be a heavy task to do as well but I'm sure he'll come good there it's just going to take a lot of adaptation I love that uh, top player should have joined us instead I mean that's shades of <laughs> shades of Tevez and Rooney and all these hey, I've got, I know, that's the reason why I, I would love it I just I just want them to feel that pain I felt when Tevez went there it absolutely broke my heart that. a Jack Grealish-less Manchester City travelled to Lisbon today to play sporting in their first leg of the last 16 of the Champions League will of course have reaction to that result on tomorrow's podcast as well as the game taking place in the Premier League tonight at Old Trafford between Manchester United and Brighton but that is it for today's episode thank you very much Joel thank you Marley don't forget to hit subscribe that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again we are the only show with a brand new episode on Premier League football every single day of the season so smash that subscribe button and we'll catch you next time here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode <laughs>